Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 12. Last week, I covered the judges Shamgar and Deborah. I purposely skipped over Barak, since he wasn't a judge, but we'll certainly get to him when I do the deep dive on everyone and everything else found in the book of Judges. If you missed that last episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the judge Gideon, beginning with his story as found in the biblical narrative. And with that, let's get started. Judges 6 begins by telling us something that's becoming rather familiar. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then they were ruled by the Midianites for seven years. While they were under their control, many Israelites took to hiding in places the text calls strongholds, along within the mountains and caves. But apparently Midian wasn't the typical oppressor who merely demanded tributes. They, along with the Amalekites and an unnamed group from the east, would come up against the Israelites. And more specifically, they would do this sometime before the harvest and raise the land. In my mind, they would come to take whatever they wanted from the farmland, then destroy what was left, including the livestock, which in this case were the sheep, oxen, and donkeys. This destruction was said to go as far as Gaza, so towards the coast and the Philistines. The invaders would show up with their own livestock, live temporarily in tents, with so many people and animals, they were said to have been as numerous as locusts, a rather apt analogy, destruction, plague, and all. All of this led to the impoverishing of the Israelites, who eventually cried out to God for help. But God doesn't immediately nor directly answer their cries. Instead, he sends a prophet to deliver a message. The unnamed prophet tells them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall pay no reverence to the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you live. But you have not given heed to my voice. And in that was no message of a forthcoming deliverer. At some unspecified point after the prophet's message, the angel of the Lord, meaning God himself, came and sat under the oak of Oprah, which was on the land belonging to Joash, the Abiah's right, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites, probably in a cave or stronghold. There's so much embedded in there which will be covered in this chapter of the podcast. The angel appeared to Gideon, telling him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon answered, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then God, no need with the formality of the angel prefix. Anyway, God turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I commission you. Gideon responded, 
But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the lowest among my family. In a vein similar to the argument he had centuries earlier with Moses, God told Gideon, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor with you, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Do not depart from here until I come to you, and bring out my present, and set it before you. God, apparently patient at this point, told Gideon that he would wait for the warrior's return with the gift. Gideon went into his house and prepared a baby goat, along with unleavened flour cakes. He put the meat and cakes in a basket and the broth in the ceramic pot, then brought them to God who was waiting under the oak. Once he got there, God told Gideon to take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour out the broth. Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and cakes. And with that, the angel of the Lord vanished from the scene. It was only then that Gideon realized who he had been hanging out with, and it scared him. He cried out to God, saying, Help me, Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. At this point, God may not have been visible, but he still spoke to Gideon, reassuring him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abba's rights. More people and places to cover. That night, God told him, Take your father's bowl, the second bowl, the one that's seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the sacred pole that's beside it. More on both of those in a later episode. Then he was told to build an altar to the Lord on top of the stronghold there. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Canaanite sacred pole that he had cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But he was too afraid of his family and the townspeople to do it by day. So he did it at night. When the townspeople got up early the next morning, the altar of Baal was broken down, along with the sacred pole beside it. They wondered aloud who had done all of the destruction, then searched a bit for the answer to the seemingly rhetorical question, finally figuring out that Gideon was the perpetrator. They then went to his dad asking him to bring Gideon out so they could execute him. And remember, these were his fellow Israelites, upset that he had torn down their altar to a Canaanite god. It's no wonder they fell into the hands of the Midianites, just like they had been warned by Moses and Joshua would happen. Fortunately for Gideon, his father defended him, telling the assembled mob, Will you contend for Baal, or will you defend his cause? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been pulled down. From that day forward, Gideon was sometimes known as Jerobel, literally translating to, let Bel contend against him. Do note that in any instance I can think of, 
When a new name is assigned to someone in the biblical text, their mission, their core identity is changing. Jacob, meet Israel. Abram, Abraham. Saul, Paul. Signaling a twist in the plot is a coming. Not to forget all of this, Gideon pulled down his own father's altar to the foreign deity. Sometime after this, probably sooner than later, all the Midianites and Amalekites, along with the yet-to-be-named people from the east, came together, crossed the Jordan, and encamped in the Jezreel Valley. At this time, when the foreigners were making what likely was either an annual or harvest-time migration, according to the text, the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. First, he sounded the trumpet, and the Abazizrites were called down to follow him. Remember that Gideon was an Abazrite and protested God's direction by telling the Almighty that his family was among the weakest in all of Israel. Now, they were following him into battle against the intruders. Probably knowing it was going to be an uphill slog, Gideon sent messengers to all of Manasseh. Once that dispatch was received, that tribe, too, sent warriors. After that, more missives were sent to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, all met with a similar supportive response. At this point, there's a pause in the narrative. Despite receiving support from four different tribes, Gideon needed some reassurance. He makes a request from God, telling, not asking, in order to see whether you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you have said, I am going to lay a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and the ground is dry, then I shall know that you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you have said. When he woke the next morning, he rang the fleece with enough water coming out that he was able to fill a bowl. Even with that, Gideon still needed further reassurance. He went to God again. This time, he started out a little more reserved, asking God to, Not let your anger burn against me. Let me speak one more time. Let me, please, try the fleece thing just once more. Let it be dry only on the fleece, and on all of the ground, let there be dew. So, opposite of the way it was the time before, testing to see if it was just a coincidence. It wasn't as God came through that night. The fleece was the only dry thing around, with the ground being remarkably dewy. All of this, both parts of this particular miraculous episode, have become known as the sign of the fleece, and with that sign, the chapter wraps up. Judges 7 begins with the natural next part in the Gideon story. From the second word, we see that Gideon is assuming his newfound identity. Then, Jeroboam, and we're parenthetically reminded that his name is still Gideon. Whichever name you choose, he and all of the assembled troops from the various tribes arose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. The Midianites' camp was north of them, below the hill of Morah, in the valley. Do note that this spelling of Herod is different from the Herod found in the New Testament. At this point, God addresses Gideon, telling him, The troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would take the credit away from me, saying, 
My own hand has delivered me. Before getting to what happens next, it's noteworthy that the dynamic between God and Gideon has reverted to the more traditional of the deity telling the person what to do next. Back in the text, God tells Gideon to address the troops, allowing those who are scared to return to their native territory. 22,000 leave, headed back to their homes, leaving the newly anointed mighty warrior 10,000 troops. But still too many are left, so a new sorting mechanism is introduced. This one is among the weirdest passages that have run across thus far. I'll let the new revised standard do the telling. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The troops are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. When I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. And when I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, All those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. And all those who kneel down to drink, cupping their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other. Three hundred lapped like dogs, with the rest of the ten thousand cupping their hands. You should see where this is going. The cuppers were sent home, and Gideon was left with three hundred of the original thirty-two thousand. Before the multitude is sent packing, there's another interesting, foreshadowing bit of detail. Gideon took the jars and trumpets from the troops. What's unclear is if this was from everyone, those about to head home, or the three hundred remaining. After bidding adieu, those remaining encamped at the top of a hill, with the Midianites camping below. But no rest was to be had, as that same night God told Gideon, Get up and attack the encamped Midianites, as I will give them to your hand. Then something less expected was spoken. God told Gideon if he was unsure, he could go down to the encamped Midianites, taking only his servant Pura with him. He's told that if he does this, he will hear what the enemy is saying about him, which will serve as reassurance. Gideon takes God up on the offer, with he and Pura making the downhill trek. He would make it all the way to the outpost of the armed guards. Then, the text gives us a little detail about the enemy. Once again, they're described as being thick as locusts. And it wasn't just the Midianites. The Amalekites and the people of the east were there too, along with camels said to be as numerous as sand on the beach. The pair would get close enough to overhear a conversation between two Midianites, where one told the other of a dream he had. I had a dream and in it a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell. It turned upside down, and the tent collapsed. His comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has given Midian and all the army. And there was the reassurance God had promised Gideon. Upon hearing this, Gideon worshipped, then returned to the Israelites' camp, telling the assembled three hundred to get up, for the Lord has given the army of Midian into your hand. 
which was well and good, but he still needed a plan. He set about dividing the troops into three separate companies. He handed each of them a trumpet and a jar with a torch inside. The purpose of the jar was to keep the light from the burning torch hidden until it was time for the big reveal. He then instructed the troops on what to do when they reached the battlefield. Look at me and do the same. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, then you are to blow your trumpets around the whole camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. After giving these instructions, Gideon and the 100 who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And I'm going to pause here for a second. The typical understanding is that the first guard watch of the night ran from sunset to about 10 p.m. and the middle watch from about 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., with the third watch running from 2 a.m. to sunrise. All of this meaning Gideon's troops assembled around the enemy around 10 p.m. When everyone was in their place, Gideon and his 100 blew their trumpets and smashed their jars revealing the torches that were inside. With that signal, so did the other two companies with their 200 troops. And all of a sudden, the enemy knew they were immediately surrounded by a well-lit and loud army. They likely assumed there were more Israelites ready to attack than there really were. We're given some additional details about how it all went down. The troops would hold the trumpets in their right hand, and the torch in their left. After sounding the horn, they would shout, A sword for the Lord, and for Gideon, all while surrounding the enemy. And this great noise and sight sent a panic through the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people from the east, to the point that they beat a chaotic retreat, fleeing as far away as Beersheta, toward Zerurah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah, by Tabeth, places I'll get to in the future. As they retreated, the Israelites, who had earlier been sent home, came back to the chase, men from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh joining in. These tribes likely knew about the retreat because they were between the battlefield and the enemy's home, essentially the retreat passing through their territories. Not every tribe was witness to this, Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters against them, as far as beth and also the Jordan. The men of Ephraim did as requested, and in doing so captured two captains of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. Both were executed. More on them in the future, too. And that's how Judges chapter 7 wraps up. There's much more to the story of Gideon, but I'm out of time and will continue in the next episode. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. 
Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe. So you get the episodes as soon as they are released, and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.